Welcome to the Shut Up Show. This is the Brave Solopreneurs Podcast helping you shut up and make shit happen. Inside every episode, you'll hear raw and uncensored conversations with amazing entrepreneurs and thought leaders who bring their best work every day despite being scared shitless. You'll gain mindset strategies on how to brave through your fears, tactical advice to help you define your shut up moment, and impact-driven tips inspiring you to live and work on your own terms. And now, your hosts and co-shut-uppers of making shit happen, Bernie Shung and Phil Gerbyshack. What's up? We have another episode of the Shut Up Show. Today we are honored to have my good friend and the guy who told me to shut up for the first time, Scott Ginsberg. Scott's that guy with the name tag, the author of some four million books, or at least it feels that way, one hell of a prolific writer, a great guy, a guy who started out uh, doing his own stuff and then made the jump into corporate America. Into corporate America. So Scott's amazing. He's been wearing a name tag for, what is it today, Scott, 46 something? 4,557. Yeah, that amount, 4557 days. Holy crap, wearing a name tag. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for Scott Ginsburg. Hey, Scott, what's going on, man? I'm just uh, living in a beautiful spring day. I'm so happy that it's nice outside. Well, we're going to bring some sunshine today. So I got to know Scott. I'm going to give you a little background here. I got to know Scott in 2005. I was thinking I wanted to write a book, and Scott had already written a book. And so I said, so, um, I want to write a book. Scott, tell me how. And then he told me, hey, so start a blog, start writing articles. And I said, but Scott, I can't do that. I, I got this excuse and that excuse. And Scott says, Phil, shut up. Just get started. And so I did. I started writing. And uh, though nowhere near as prolific as Scott, that was a big moment for me because that kind of encapsulated the get started and get your button geared really got me going, gosh, eight years now, Scott, um, of my writing. So um, from one shut up to another, thank you, first of all, for being you. My pleasure. Yeah. So, so Scott, so this name tag thing, show us your, show us your name, the fake name tag that you have on your shirt there. Says there Scott, for those who can't read. Um, and so Scott also has a tattoo that says Scott, which is also equally cool. Oh my goodness! Yes, he does. Yeah. So that will never be without a name tag. What I love, and he actually did a video of him taking off and being the name tag guy. Right? Would you have like thirty layers or something? Yeah, that was fun. Uh, I wore like five coats and a couple shirts, and just to see how many you know layers I could go. And in the middle of it, it started pouring raining. It's actually kind of funny. It was one of my favorite videos, though, that you've done, man. So, Scott, so why do you do this? Why do you? Why the hell do you wear a name tag? You know, the answer to that question has changed so many times. Um, when I started uh, 13 years ago, the answer was to make people friendlier. And then after I did it for a couple of years, it was more about um, approachability. And then it was I wear it because of identity and I wear it because of branding and because of marketing. And, you know, as I slowly built my business over the next 12 years, um, it kind of hit a point where it went back to the original. It's like, yeah, I, I just wear it for fun. 
I mean, that's it. And I used to have these really long explanations for why I wear a name tag, and I've given every explanation in the world of why you should wear it. I've researched name tags more than anyone on the planet, and, like, the bottom line is when someone asks me why I wear it, I go, it's fun. <laughs> that's awesome. Bernie, you're not wearing your name tag. I'm not either. What happened here? No, I know. I, I Yeah, I dropped the ball this time. Yeah. Um, um I did, I did want to add something, though, because, Phil, I don't think you knew this, um, and I know Scott for sure didn't know this, but back in 2010, I think it was, hold on, I wrote it down here. Okay, actually, back in 2011, I was doing some research on name tags for an event that I was co-hosting, mm -hmm. and Scott's name came up. Nice. <laughs> so so I actually ended up finding out about Scott through his blog, and I just went crazy. I was obsessed with Scott's uh, <laughs> website. So you're, I'm kind of having like a Justin Bieber moment here, by the way. <laughs> so, so please forgive me if I blush a little bit. But no, but I thought it was really cool, Scott, because I had actually learned about you before Phil and I met. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons your name came back up again was in 2011 to 2012-ish, Phil and I sat down for the first time. We both are from the Milwaukee area, and we had been talking about, you know, we have the same friends. Let's finally meet. Let's finally help each other. During that conversation, I was telling him something about some resistance I had. And the first thing he said was, you know, my good friend Scott, he told me to shut up. So I'm going to tell you to <laughs> shut up, too. And I'm like, who's your friend Scott? And, you know, lo and behold, it brought the story back full circle. It was Scott. It was Scott the name tag guy. So I was just blown away. So thought I would share that. You have just been, you know, making such an impact for so many years. And look at that through these two mutual connections. I mean, who would have thunk? Thank you. I'll send an invoice. <laughs> hey, now. <laughs> So I did have an actual quick question. Um, I know that I've been, like I said, I've been obsessed about your blog. I've watched a ton of videos. I've learned a lot about you. And I recently stumbled upon your name tag manifesto. Mm -hmm. So if you wouldn't mind going into that a little bit, I would love to learn a little bit more about, you know, how you came up with that and where, mm -hmm. where your head was really when you came up with your manifesto. That was a really great experience um, for me two summers ago. I'd kind of hit a creative wall and I was really out of things to say and um, major creative resistance. So I did the first thing I always do when I hit the wall is I read The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield because that's my favorite book of all time and I read it twice a year. And I had this idea where for 13 years I'd always said, look, I'm not trying to get everyone to wear name tags. Like everyone accused me of that. And one day I was like, you know what, screw it. What if we did all wear name tags? What if I like legitimately wrote this out and I thought I'm the most qualified person on the planet. I've done more field research than anyone should ever do. Like I can scientifically prove why we should all wear name tags, scientifically, sociologically, psychologically. So I spent about three months um, not really researching because I had already done all the research, but just pulling everything together. Um, and it came into what is now the, the name tag manifesto. And it's like, like 18 different tenets or whatever of how wearing a name tag will make the world better. If every single person does it from lack of anonymity. So we can all, you know, stop lying to each other and health reasons and social capital and all this very ideological stuff. It's very important to me and kind of, kind of the stuff that I, I, um, not really believed in, but the stuff that I purported when I started and kind of lost touch with, and I reconnected with the 22-year-old version of myself and um, and wrote it. So, like, I'm really proud of it. I worked really hard on it. Um, 
it came out beautifully. It was on SlideShare for like two days as the top thing, which is like kind of exciting uh, until I realized that SlideShare is kind of populated by people who don't speak English and will never hire me. But nevertheless, <laughs> um, it was a neat exercise, and uh, I'm glad you liked it. No, that's awesome. And I always have to ask this too. How easy or how difficult was it actually to hit publish on that? It's not hard. I, <laughs> I've never, I've never had that issue. I, I know what the resistance is of um, pressing send, pressing publish, that moment of, of, of shipping. And uh, I'm really lucky that that's never been an issue for me. I've, I just, I, I guess I press it so fast and so often that I don't have time to like be afraid. I just, I just keep putting stuff out there. It's like finished is better than perfect. So I'm not, I'm not really sure for me how the resistance came into that. I mean, writing it, that was one thing, but <laughs> publishing it, I didn't, I don't care. I just, I just put stuff out there. It's like, I'm all about volume, not accuracy. <laughs> That's awesome. Phil, I heard Scott say the word fear, and I know that we love that word. Yeah, fear. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's that's a big one, right? We all worry about fear, and I think I do. I know that I've had fear. Scott, you're lucky that you haven't seen it, but dude, you got to be afraid of something. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm afraid. afraid of, oh, I'm afraid of plenty of things. I, I didn't see fear in that final moment um, of pressing publish. That's not where my fear comes from. My fear is comes a lot earlier in terms of like. Why would you really need to write 25 books at the age of 32? Um, my fear is like the fear of being found out, the fear of people realizing I don't know what the hell I'm doing, um, the fear of people finding out that I was raised in a privileged family and I never really had to work if I didn't want to, so why else would I overcompensate by writing 25 books? I mean, there's all of those fears that are way earlier. Um, once I get over that, the published thing is, is sort of not an issue. So yeah, I got I got my share of fears too. So how do you get over that though? I mean, yeah. you've got all that stuff. Like, right. man. How, yeah. how, what gets you through? Yeah, I think there's a lot of things. Um, I mean, one of them is just I guess having a better understanding of fear and like you know reading Stephen Pressfield and Seth Godin's got some good stuff on it and just trying to understand like the lies that we tell to ourselves when we're afraid and. What are the signs? Like, I know that if I go eat, you know, a huge bag of chocolate pretzels in the middle of the day, like, I'm probably afraid of something. Like, I know that I eat my feelings. I know that's a trigger for me. And it's like, instead of eating pretzels, I can face my feelings of being afraid and confront those and, and talk about them with people or with myself or whatever. Um, I mean, that's something that I need to kind of know is what are those external um, manifestations of the fear? Um, something else that's been helpful is to have uh, a great partner that will know when you're afraid and, and will kind of tell you to shut up. My fiance has always been that person and she'll say like, you know, I, I know something's wrong. Um, I, I'm not going to ask you a bunch of questions. I just know that I, I don't like where you are right now and you need to do something about it. So yeah, I mean, having a person like that is, is pretty huge. Those are my first two kind of suggestions on the fear. And then uh, the last suggestion I would offer is a conversation I had with another friend of mine on a very similar topic a few weeks ago about being afraid and how do you deal with the critics and people telling you God knows what and that you can't do it and people who don't believe in you like just just stop caring like it's it's the it's the easiest answer and there's no formula it's like you just need to learn to not give a shit and I mean that in like the most positive way like 
it's a combination of caring and not caring. It's like caring about the stuff that matters and then everything else just, just stop caring because it tends to just kind of drive you crazy. So I, I've learned how to not care strategically. I think it's really important. Wow. Wow. That's, uh, that's great advice, man. So I, I think I heard a quote once that said, what other people think of you is none of your business. <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. So, but Scott, you, you did all this stuff, and, and I've got to tell you, man, you, you always inspire me, and now you did the unthinkable. You jumped back, or jumped into, maybe not back, right, because this is really your first corporate job, somewhat, right? Would you like me to move? Yes, I would. Okay. Cool. I'm going to switch rooms, guys, one sec. Yeah. So see, this is the magic. <laughs> I love it. Live stuff, right? We've got oh, that's stuff. Nice. That is too much. This is, this is I know there's awesome. too much echo. Yeah, stand by one second. <laughs> this is fabulous. Cool. Uh, all right, sorry. Go ahead, Phil. No, no worries, brother. So thank you. So no, so this, this is cool. This, this is magic. So, but you jump back into uh, corporate America. You went from being the most prolific writer that I know that's written 13 books by the time he's 32, to now you're in Polk, New York. Why? Why would you move? Why change now? Yeah, um, great question. I think three different answers is like a combination of uh, bored, burned out, and lonely. So yeah. I think that, I mean, I think after 13 years, kind of doing the same thing like eventually it just gets boring and I've, I've done all the stuff that I wanted to do so I'm, I'm bored with it um, the burned out thing is like you know after proving yourself for 13 years eventually you kind of run out of steam so there's that sort of emotional part of it and then um, lonely like I was working alone in my living room for over a decade and now I get to hang with all these cool people and it's great because it's it's awesome to work alone for a, a while, but eventually you're like, no, oh, I need other human beings. Wow, so so lonely. Um, let's talk a little bit about that because that's actually one of the reasons why we started the show, Scott. Bernie and I talked about how entrepreneurs feel alone, right? And I think alone is different than lonely. But let's let's talk about how that might manifest itself. How how an entrepreneur might know that they're feeling lonely. And maybe some some creative thoughts around curing that. Sure, and I, it's a good it's a good distinction. I mean, I'm 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 really good at being alone. I think that's a skill that we kind of develop, and I, I kind of got that down. But like, lonely is a different thing. I mean, it's if you haven't left the house at one p.m., if you haven't talked to another human face to face, like in three days, like you're going to get lonely. And uh, for me, like, I know what my triggers are. I mean, I know that if I like kind of freak out and start calling every single person I know on the phone, like I'm lonely. And that's, that's kind of how it manifests for me. So I, I think the key is like, we have to whether it's have these virtual conversations or have lunches or whatever we have to do, we kind of install those things in our schedule to prevent the loneliness from taking over. Um, because otherwise, we're just kind of sitting in a corner talking to ourselves. Like we think we're talking talking to people on Twitter. We're not. We're just talking to ourselves. And I, I just, I couldn't take it anymore. I'm an extrovert. Uh, I can't hack it. So uh, here I am now with all these cool folks, and it's uh, much better for me. So how hard was the adjustment, Scott? How hard was it to go from doing what you're doing to doing what you're doing now? 
uh, extremely. It took it took four months to physically get it. I mean, I think there's the physical adjustment of oh, I have to get dressed now, wear clothes every day. That's new for me. <laughs> and I mean, little things like the lighting is different, and my eyes hurt for a couple of weeks. I mean, stuff like that is, is very surprising and different. Um, and you know, then there's the whole sort of teamwork, working with a group of people, which is a very different kind of thing, and a welcome change for me to get other inputs and to hang with all these cool smart folks and stuff um, that they're, they're talking right now. So sorry if it's too loud. Um, yeah, and then there's just the uh, the challenge now. I, I, I think what I like better about the, the current position versus the previous is um, it's like the difference between recording on a four track and a 16 track. So, and I can say that because I'm a songwriter, so I can I know what that's like. But like, if you're only recording, yeah. if you're only doing four tracks, you're only getting four instruments, and you're not making the most out of the, the talent. But if you can use 16 tracks, you can use all of the talents and all the gifts and all the things that you have. And I feel that you know when I get to work here now, I get to use a lot more of, of what I have to offer. That's fantastic. So find your people, right? I think. Um, you know, you had to find people like you, though, right, Scott? You couldn't just jump in and do nothing. I mean, how long did you think about this? And what was kind of that shut-up moment sure. you had that got you from I'm lonely, I'm burnt out, I'm bored, to, hey, I got a job, yahoo! Right. Yeah, it was about three months of taking a sabbatical and doing nothing and really kind of thinking about it. And then I started Googling coolest companies in New York. And uh, sure enough, Pope New York came up on, on my list and I I literally showed up. Like I not using literally in the sort of pop culture, I literally walked in the door and asked for a job. Um, and I just wouldn't go away. And I I can tell that it was a good spot. And it turns out it's it's the kind of place where, you know, all the people who feel like they don't belong anywhere come here. That's awesome. Um, That's super awesome. Which is great. I mean I Having never really belonged anywhere, it's nice to you know, to have that. So, Bernie, what do you want to know? Scott's a genius here. I know. I gosh, I've seen his fees on his website, so I'm not going to ask him any questions. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, um, you know, I, I think personally for me, um, I know that my original track was leaving corporate America. I started a business in coaching, life and, and uh, business coaching, mm -hmm. and then my career has evolved now into speaking, so I'm kind of doing the opposite of, right. of where you're at. So I guess for me personally, I would want to know how do I, or maybe I don't, how do I prevent myself from burning out at some point when I'm ready to do all the speaking, when I'm ready to do all the traveling, and I'm ready to take on this mm -hmm. full-blown you know, entrepreneurship that I really want to pursue. Yeah, that's, that's, a really, for me. that's a really good question. I mean, I, I think there's some like basic mechanical stuff you can do in terms of like handling stress and, you know, taking time for yourself off at typical bullshit, go read and self-help books. But I, I think a real question is to ask yourself not, um, how do I prevent myself from burning out? Maybe a bigger question is, is this a business where burnout is inevitable? And I think it is at least for me. Um, that's one of the reasons I decided to leave at the time that I did. I, I left when I felt I was on top and didn't see the business being sustainable. I mean, I think that particular business, it's sort of a gold rush right now um, on the web and everybody's kind of clamoring for it. And, you know, I started 12 years ago. It was a lot different. So where the um, where the industry is going, uh, it's, it's um, 
it's very different than it used to be. And so I think it's perfectly sustainable if you have kids that are grown up and in college and you're just chilling and you want to travel with your spouse. I think it's perfectly sustainable if you're 22 years old and you have no commitments. Uh, but I'm 33, I'm going to get married and my life is different now. So um, it just wouldn't work for me anymore. I've, I've done it all. I've done everything I ever wanted to do. There's no reason for me to do it anymore. So um, it certainly wasn't uh, sustainable for me and I would have burned out even further to the detriment um, of my health and the people that I love. So I, I had to get out when the time was right and I think everyone has to decide whether or not that is a um, inevitable thing for them. Wonderful. No, I love that answer. It has a lot to do with what I call, you know, when I coach people, I call it, you know, meeting people where they're at. Um, it doesn't really matter how old you are or how much experience you have. Where you are at that moment in life is really going to determine yeah. what your needs are and the kind of you know lifestyle you you want to have. And mm. uh, to your point, my kids all grown up, and I have had the opposite. You know, I I started very young. I right. grew up. I grew up at gosh, I was a mom at seventeen. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> and I'm thirty six now, and it's like it's time for me to go. Right. So no, I completely get what you mean in terms of can your lifestyle sustain, you know, that or not? Yeah. And it looks like you've got a change in your life, and I think that's amazing. That's wonderful for you. So thanks, Bill? Scott. That's, uh, yeah, I was just gonna say, I think uh, that's everything we need to know about shutting up and about uh, listening as well. It's not just about shutting up. It's about listening, paying attention to those signs, those feelings that you have, and doing what's right for you, even yeah. if everybody thinks you're crazy. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think in my case, I told people to shut up a long time ago, and they did. And I think after a, a long time of telling people to shut up, no one's going to say it anymore. So you reach a point where you have to tell yourself to shut up. That's, that's what I did. And that's, and that's why I moved on and uh, flipped my life in the complete polar opposite as it was a year ago. Because, I mean, I, I sat down and wrote myself a 10-page letter of resignation. Wow. And I didn't that's share awesome. it with any – I didn't – I didn't publish it on my blog. I didn't share it with anybody. It was just me saying, okay, shut up and go do the opposite and do something else because you can't do this anymore. And I did. And uh, I made it out uh, on the other side nonviolently and here I am. Awesome. Even, even if the lady in the hallway thinks I'm crazy, <laughs> I, I feel bad, but. That's okay. Dude, that's so awesome, Scott. We're so thankful for you, man. Um, if people aren't on Twitter, Scott, where else can people find you? Uh, just Google name tag. Thank you so much for being Thank on you, our Scott. show. You are our first guest. Wow. We hand-selected you because we just loved your story and we loved how much you impacted us. So thank you so much for all your insight you. today. First of many guests, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, sir. All right. Thank you, Scott. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Shut Up Show. And remember, if you don't want to miss a single episode, go on to our website at theshutupshow.com and subscribe to our newsletter. Until next time, folks, shut up and make shit happen.